0: Hey, I'm excited today because we get to start a new book, 2 Thessalonians, right? 2 Thessalonians. And I don't know, if you're new, you don't know this, but this is my favorite book. And uh, we just finished uh, 1 Thessalonians and I couldn't wait to get to 2 Thessalonians uh, because we continue uh, through our journey verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book here at Calvary Chapel in the North Country. Uh, Let's just have a moment of prayer once again here. Father, we again thank you and praise you for waking us up, giving us a new day, a new life to to breathe in and out today, to be able to worship you, praise you, and to serve you. And then we come here and we worship you not only in song, but we worship you in the studying of your word. We worship you in our giving and our uh, worship in our time of fellowship and our prayer time Lord, we just want to please you in all the say, things we say and do this day and at this moment this time of service as we gather together in your name and amongst your people you're going to move in a mighty way, use your word to speak clarity, speak to our hearts and I pray Lord, if there's anyone listening to my words this day, I pray if they do not know you on a personal level, they have not accepted you as your Lord as our Lord and Savior. I pray that today they'll hear you knocking at the door of their hearts and they will open up their lives and ask you to come into their lives and ask for the forgiveness of their sins. You went to the cross for them, Lord. And may your words speak to them and let them know how much you love them. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. As we take a look at 2 Thessalonians, we are going to take chapter 1, verses 1 through 12 here, just 12 verses and the subject here today, as we see in this uh, first chapter, is the encouragement and persecution or encouragement for those Christians who are being persecuted there in Thessalonia. And um, we too, again, the word applies to us today, not only to those that this letter was written to by Paul, but it's written to you and to me today to encourage us in our walk and our faith in Jesus Christ because you will be persecuted if you haven't already been persecuted by your faith. If, if Jesus was persecuted, why would we think that we wouldn't be persecuted for who we represent as an ambassador of our, of our king. And as we take a look at these verses, and we're going to read all 12 verses here, but I just wanted to give you a highlight to bring you up to speed of where, we are, where we've been and where we're going here with this new book, or this new letter. The Christians in Thessalon, uh, Thessalonica were very grateful for God sending Paul to them in the first place to start the church in this place. And when they found that, they were also very grateful to God for Paul's first letter to them. Because if you remember, Paul started that church with his fellow brothers there. And they had to leave town very quickly within three weeks because of the persecution came to them so heavily that they said, you've got to get out or they're going to kill you, Paul. And they moved on to, to Berea and to other locations Now, in that period of time, he wrote a letter back to this brand new church, these brand new believers in Jesus Christ, and encouraged them, and that's the first Thessalonians. And he encouraged them, the fact that the coming of Jesus Christ, he's going to come back, and he's going to come back for his church and catch up or rapture his his church, you, the believers, up to him into the cloud. And he encouraged them with that, saying, this persecution is not going to last forever. This is not going to be, this is not your home. As a child of God, your home is in heaven. And so he was encouraging them through that letter. And today we will see a second letter that he had to write, uh, again, not too long after him leaving, uh, uh, after writing the first letter, to encourage him some more. And we'll talk about this because um, even though that letter was very encouraging to them, it helped him for a moment but it wasn't a long-lasting or immediate solving of their problem, and that problem being of persecution for their faith. That persecution grew worse for those believers as time went on. And because of this, some Christians thought they were living in the time of tribulation uh, that uh, Paul was talking about, that seven-year period and moving the day of the lord and moving into and like this is we are going through the tribulation. This is persecution. Do you know what's going on? Did you hear about the news on the on the corner of the, of the by the gates, you know, that kind of mentality and it's so true today, is it not? we can watch the news and we can see the things and it's like we must be in tribulation now, but it, we're not. And so the letter that Paul is going to write, not only the first letter, the second letter also here, is that he needed to encourage them that, uh, that this claim that, 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 that they're in the middle of the tribulation at that point in time was not true. Also, a letter came to them, supposedly from Paul, which it was not. And that letter claimed that the day of the Lord was actually taking place. So, so that caused confusion and that caused an f- increase in, in uh, fear in the people of the fact that they were left behind and going to go through this tribulation period of the wrath of God upon the earth. And after... Um, uh, going through this fear and going through this confusion, there was another group within the church that felt, well, if, if this is the end times... And this is what's going on in this persecution. Well, then why should I work? I'll just leave my job and I'll just sit here and wait for the Lord to come back and get me and I'll just sit back. And what that did is it caused a lot of problems for the other Christians who were continuing to work to try to provide for their brothers and sisters who chose not to work to keep them going through this period of time so they didn't hunger and starve and and suffer and lose everything. So that put an additional burden on the people who continued to just faithfully work, which we're to do, we're to work, faithfully work until the Lord comes back and takes us home. And so people sometimes just get a little squirrely in their head and they listen to things and they, they Google search and all kinds of heaping up all kinds of teachers that can mislead you from the word of God that grounds you and I in the truth. And that's why we have this second letter to encourage the believers and encourage us today that we're not in the tribulation as much as you think your persecution that you're going through right now at work, uh, you think you are. Or the tribulation, you're finding yourself in your neighborhood with your neighbors coming against you, or just the, the, the violence that's coming across your social media coming against you for your faith. Just be encouraged today as you're being persecuted for your faith and your belief in the true the truth of the of the scriptures that you're not in the tribulation you haven't been left behind and the lord is coming back soon to rapture us out of here and take us into his presence now satan will work very hard like a lion to find a way to devour you we see that in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7-8. Sometime he comes across as a serpent who seeks to deceive you in your walk, and we see that as well in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3. So Satan is always at work trying to destroy and deceive or devour you in some form or fashion in your walk of faith in Jesus Christ and somehow try to take you off the path in some form or fashion. And it was in response to these needs that Paul heard that these people back in Thessalonica was suffering through this, that he wrote this second letter that we're going to go through. And he began in the beginning of this letter in chapter 1 addressing the persecution that they were experiencing because of their faith. And we will see Paul will bring encouragement to those going through that persecution. And so I pray that it will encourage you if you find yourself in the midst of persecution. This is broken up, this first chapter is broken up into three parts. The very first part, verses 1 through 4, you will find he's going to basically encourage, uh, and be encouraged uh, meant uh, for the persecuted church, but more specifically, encouragement uh, through persecution. Uh, Through praise. And how important is he's encouraging them through the praising of God that will encourage them through those times of persecution. And then we will continue and we will see the encouragement of the promise that God has for those who are believers and also a promise of what will happen to non-believers who come against them. And we will see that in verses 5 through 10. And lastly verses 11 and 12 we're going to see the encouragement of Prayer And how the power of prayer will bring you through and encourage you through the times of persecution of your life. And so let's take this through. Let's read verses 1 through 12 and we'll break it down uh, verse by verse. Paul, Salvanus, and Timothy. To the church of the Thessalonians, in God, in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We are bound of, we are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is fitting because your faith grows exceedingly and the love of every one of you all abounds toward each other. so that we ourselves boast of you among the churches of God for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that you endure, which is manifest, Evidence of the, of the righteous judgment of God that you may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you also suffer. Since it is a righteous thing with God to repay with tribulation those who trouble you and to give you who are troubled rest with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. When he comes in that day to be glorified in his saints and to be admired among all those who believe because our testimony among you was believed. Therefore, we also pray always for you that our God would count you worthy of this calling and fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness and the work of faith with power, that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ." So as we take a look at this and we follow along in these three kind of segments of about the types of encouragement that Paul's going to do for those in the faith there in Thessalonica, we will see in the very beginning who wrote this letter. We know that Paul... Paul the Apostle wrote this letter, and we see that highlighted if you want to just do a one-page turn to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 17. At the very end, you will see that he makes a reference to the there, that he is the author of this epistle or this letter. We also know that we learn that from Luke. In Acts chapters 13 through 26, that covers the ministry of Paul during in those, uh, those chapters. And you can go lo- learn more about Paul in uh, the book of Acts. In this book, here in the 2nd Thessalonians, the original city name was Therma, not Thessalonica. It was Therma, means hot springs because it sits on the Gulf Coast of Salonika, which has had about 200,000 inhabitants at that point in time. But in 315 BC, the name changed to Thessalonica because they changed it based on Alexandria the Great, changing it uh, based on his half-sister's name. And today, if you're modern day, there on the Aegean Sea, the Aegean Sea has one of the largest and most beautiful seaports right there uh, and by Greece, is called Thessaloniki, or Linki, and that's the name that you will find today if you look that up uh, in the maps. The overall theme of 1 Thessalonians... And Second Thessalonians uh, is coming of Jesus Christ, the day of the Lord, and we see that mentioned in Second Thessalonians chapter two, verse two. So here, Paul's in Corinth at this time, away from this this city and these people, but he God puts on his heart and gives. Paul, these words that we read today, and it was written about 51 to 52 AD, about six months after he wrote that first letter to these Thessalonians. And it's probably and possibly the second letter ever written that we find in our scriptures. First one that many believe is 1 Thessalonians, followed by the second, and of course, Galatians, I believe, was one of the very first ones we see. From the that's been canonized as part of the, the Bible that we read. The second person that we see here in verse 1 is Salvanus. Salvanus means, in the Greek word, forest or woody. So we'll just call him woody from now on. But another name that we have for him is Silas, as all, most of you know, that he goes by, we see in the scripture, by the name of Silas versus Salvanus. But Salvanus was a long and experienced uh, partner or companion with Paul he was on one of the inner circles with Paul he was his travel companions on these different missionary uh, trips that they find and we know in, in his second uh, missionary journey he was with Paul and was imprisoned and set free with Paul from the Philippian jail we saw that in Acts chapter 16 verses 19 down probably 19 through 27 Paul first came to Thessalonica, and and Silas or Silvanus, came with him in Acts 17. So those Thessalonians knew knew uh, Silas very well, they knew him, trusted him, and uh, and and uh, and Silvanus obviously. Uh, ministered to them tremendously and leading to people to Christ there in that town. So he collaborated with Paul on that first letter. We see that he's part of the second one. We also know in Acts 15 that Silvanus was a prophet as well. And he also, we see that God used Silvanus, Sil- uh, Silas, and 1 Peter 5.12 mentions that Silas was used uh, by God to help uh, transcribe Peter's first epistle. So God used this man in a mighty way in the lives of the other other believers there, such as Paul and Peter and others, to do God's work. He was a faithful, faithful man. The third person we see in the scripture today is Timothy. Another name in the Greek is uh, Timothus, Timothus. Or to, uh, it's a compound name, Timothus means, Timo means it's to honor, and Theos means God. So Timothus is to honor God, a man who honors God, and that's who Timothy is here. And he was a resident of Lystra, a city of the province of Galatia, if you remember, in Acts 16. He also he had a unique upbringing because he was raised by a Greek father. Uh, that we see in Acts 16, but he was uh, really raised by a Jewish mother named Eunice. 2 Timothy 1.5 mentions her, but he, she, Eunice, along with the grandmother, is who really raised that boy up to be a godly man. They poured in the scriptures into his life at a very young age, and we see that in uh, the grandmother and her doing that in 2 Timothy, uh, not only 1.5, but also 2 Timothy 3.15. But Timothy was a very trusted companion and partner with, uh, with Paul as well as he accompanied Paul on his missionary journeys. And Paul sent Timothy, if you remember, to Thessalonians uh, if early on, and we saw that in 1 Thessalonians 3.2. He sent him ahead of time to minister to these people to, to pave a way. So with Sylvanus uh, and Timothy, we can see that Paul was in great company of godly men surrounding him to go out and do the work. He wasn't a lone ranger out there trying to do his own thing, start his own little ministry up as a missionary and, and I'm going to do it my way and, and, and no one else can do it better than me because I know everything kind of attitude. No, Paul, even though he was a brilliant man, a great orator and a command of the Old Testament and, and certainly a command of the relationship with Jesus Christ and the teachings of Jesus, he knew and he was very humbled to know that he cannot do ministry by himself he needed God to use and work and companions with a trusted people to his right hand side a man who would be a godly man who would be like-minded and tow the line with him and be there and the good times are bad with all the accusations and confusions and, and all the things that come with it, he, God knew and he knew he, that God said he needed to have a trusted right-hand man, a wingman, if us military guys from the Air Force. We have to have a wingman that will be by your side through highs and lows and goods and bads and stuff because you might get imprisoned if you hang around with Paul. You just might get, you know, be persecuted, and your life almost be be taken because your your relationship with Paul. So that was a difficult time. So these were commitments from these men to be uh, in the ministry. With Paul and know that this is not going to be an easy life because persecution would come and here we see God's using these three men in the lives of these people in Thessalonica and we see that Timothy was very close to him also we know in 1 Timothy one three that he was a pastor of the church of Ephesus as well in due time now if you notice in the scriptures here at the very um you know the 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 first, end of first uh, verse one that this letter is written to the church of the Thessalonians, not to the church in Thessalon- Thessalonica, but he's writing to the believers, people in that town. That's who he's writing to. You and I, we are the church uh, 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 of the of the of the north country. So, but we're the people. We're the church. The believers are the church. And so what we see here is Paul himself, he founded this church in Thessalonica on his secondary missionary journey, as we see in Acts 17, verses 1 through 9. But it was was, was the only city uh, where he went in and went out within three weeks. Can you imagine just able to teach for three weeks? And that started in a church and it just blew up and just grew and grew and grew and and, uh, became a very solid uh, believing church there in that area. And even with all the enemies that were coming, all the enemies who were against the gospel, all the enemies who were against the, the truth that, uh, that Paul and, and, and Timothy and Silas was teaching and stuff, they, and had to leave behind in this, this very alive and active new baby Christian church, it must have played really heavy on Paul's mind of how they were going to survive all that persecution that was going on as a young church of believers. And that's why the prompting of the first letter, now the second letter. The Bible says there is one church. We see that in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 20, and it says, But now indeed there are many members, yet one body. So there's one church, one global church of believers in Jesus Christ. But there are many members. There are different churches. That's one of the things when we started the new church up here in 2011. We kind of looked and said, why, Lord, are you bringing us here to start a new work? There's already churches here. But God uses different types of uh, of styles, let me call it, styles of of churches. Many different members. Some, Some churches love to be in suits and ties when they go to church. Some love the robes and hats when they come to the church. And some love polos and jeans. I prefer polos and jeans when I come to church. Matter of fact, I love jeans and Hawaiian shirts if I can wear them during the summertime. But they're just different members. The key is, do we all believe that Jesus Christ is the only way to be saved, right? That's where the fundamentals, the key fundamentals is what we we need to believe in. Now, there's other churches that they say they're churches, but they don't believe that Jesus is God. They don't believe Jesus is the only way to get saved. They don't believe uh, these fundamental Christian beliefs. They don't study the word of God. And so that's what we do here. That's our essential. That's our distinction. A Calvary Chapel distinction. Is we study the word of God because we want you to know what God has for you. So that when you leave here, you go back to your home and there's problems in your life. There's persecutions that are going to happen. May you come back to this 1st and 2nd Thessalonians and be encouraged, as Paul encouraged the believers there, that he will encourage, God will use that by the power of the Holy Spirit to encourage you in your daily walk as a Christian, and be faithful in what God's called you, and not get diverted from the the attacks of the enemy. Amen? Are you with me? All right. But that's who he's talking to. And not only is there one church, uh, with obviously many members... But there's also, this body of believers, this one one church needs to be in unity. We see that in John 17, 21. It says that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you. That they also may be one in us, the Trinity, that the world may believe that you sent me, me being Jesus Christ. That's the unity just because you call yourself a christian church does not many do not believe that and what we do why because the scripture tells us so and that's why we study the scriptures and in verse 2, he says, and, and this is a, a part of the first two verses, that, uh, is normally in these letters, it, there's a greeting up front, not at the end. It tells you, and the greeting up front tells you who wrote it and what, who they're writing to. And we see the three people here involved here and who they're writing to, the believers in Thessalonica. But he says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul always has his customary greeting here and he is, he is the one that God used to uh, pen on paper this key thing. We call it the Siamese twins of the Bible and that is grace and peace to you. Those two will always be together and those two will always be in the same order, grace and peace. You cannot have peace from God until you receive the grace of of God and you must understand that you'll never experience truly peace from God until you ex- receive the grace of God first and that's why his greeting is always to these Thessalonian Christians and to you and I he's hailing or, uh, you know hailing or to representing them here this this grace and peace of the God of the Father and the whole, and the Lord Jesus Christ and it's always Based on God's grace. Not only is God's grace to be saved. His grace to uh, sanctify you in this life. But then the grace of God in salvation when you're taken home to be in his presence. It is based on the, the way of grace. And that's what you must and I must understand. Now in verses 3 and 4 we're going to see that really emphasis of the encouragement of praise from Paul here. Because Paul can't help but thank God, praise God, boast of what God is doing with those Thessalonican believers there. And he says, we are bound. We are bound. The three guys here, us three guys here, we're bound. We are absolutely committed here, obligated to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is fitting. Why? Why? He gives us a few reasons why, Three, almost four reasons actually, but three reasons in in verse three. Why did he feel bound, those three guys feel bound to praise God and encourage the people, those believers there? Why? Because they could, based on, because of your faith grows exceedingly and the love of every one of you all abounds toward each other. So we see right here, right in the very beginning, Paul's giving thanks to God for his great work that he's doing in these believers, absent from the leaders that started the church. That God was just doing a mighty work in those believers, and, we, and they just felt so bound to or fitting to, to sit there and praise God because they saw the exceeding growth happening in their faith uh, as believers. There's like, wow, look at the faith that is growing in your life. I can't help but praise God. And I and I we are the same way here. We see some people coming here, they get saved here, and then we have the blessings to watch them grow and mature and their faith. And it's like praising God because of the work that God's done. Some people come in here, they're so broken and so lost and so deceived, and so there's just destruction in their whole life. And then all of a sudden they give their life to Christ and you see them being freed from sin. You see the change of life. You see them their mental state, their, their spiritual state. Now they're alive. They, they were dead in, 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 in sin and now alive in Christ. Their mental status, their physical status, everything starts to be improved by and this joy and peace starts coming in because they've experienced the grace of God. And so what happens is they're praising God because they look at this exceeding growth of your faith. It's amazing what is going on with all the persecution that's trying to stop you from living this Christian life. Look at your faith, it's even more exceeding than ever what we thought. I can only imagine. You're forced, I'm forced out, I'm leaving, and I don't have no idea what's going on with all of you, and all of a sudden I come back, and you're like, there's a lot of persecution going on and everything, going, COVID and all that. What, what are the people going to be like? Are they going to be weak in their faith? Are they going to be more encouraged? Is the church going to be growing? Is it going to be going down? You, as a pastor, you're, like, you're really concerned because as, as you see the scriptures, you're like children to me. I'm trying to nourish you and encourage you and help you to grow and mature in your faith so you're strong and to do what God's called you to do. And then you're not there. You can't see you. You don't know what's going on. That's really, really opened up our eyes with COVID because we don't, we haven't seen many people that are part of the church that are watching online. I haven't been able to see their eyes in months. Maybe talk to them, but not see them, not fellowshipping, not having a, you know, breaking bread together in person. It plays a heavy role as a pastor because you, you want to be there to encourage them through these times of difficult times. And Paul is saying, but I'm just praising God because... The exceeding growth in your, your faith is amazing. And the second thing he says, not only is your faith growing, but look at the love that you have, the, the agape love. That's the, the, the love that is spoken here is agape. Agape, unconditional love that is happening in their lives is, is blowing his mind. and He's just praising God and encouraging the fact that you may not see this in your life, guys. He says, you may not see this because you're being persecuted. But I'm telling you, as your pastor, Paul, is saying, as a pastor, saying, your faith is so much increased that you may not even recognize. Your love for one another is absolutely off the charts. It is amazing what God is doing in your life. And sometimes when you're in the midst of the war, in the midst of being persecuted, you don't know, you don't see what's happening. You're just trying to survive. You're just trying to get up every morning and and just, am I going to make it this morning? And whatever that may be, whatever's happening in your life, am am I going to be able to make it through this day? And the people on the outside that's watching, seeing what God is doing in your life, are the ones that are going to encourage you and say, hey... Man, you are doing great in your faith with God. Their walk is solid, man. Look at the love that you... The, and, that, and you have to remind people of where they were when they were lost and now have been found. That They were once blind, now they can see. People have to be encouraged because all they can do is like, you have no idea that what this cancer has been doing to my body. You have no idea what it meant to be persecuted and lose my job because I said I was a Christian. You have no idea what happened when there was a division. Once I got saved, my spouse and my kids left me because they they didn't want a godly man. I mean, it goes on and on and on and all the things that can happen. But I want to encourage you, as Paul's encouraging, he says, you're exceeding, your faith is growing, your love is growing. But also, and the third thing is that your patience... And we see in verse 4, so that we, have, we ourselves boast of you among the churches of God for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that you endure. So the third thing he says is your patience, your faith is absolutely increasing here through the persecutions and tribulations. This faith that you have, the love that you have, is thriving through all of that. So be encouraged. Continue the good fight. Don't give up. Stay focused on the Lord and do what he's called you to do. Share the good news with others who are hurting and suffering. And that's why Paul could boast to to God and boast to everyone. Do you see what the believers are doing in Thessalonica? It is absolutely amazing what's going on in that church. And he wanted to do that. The, the, the word there in, back in verse 3, the, word, the two words, the grows exceedingly. For those who are taking notes, just make a note that this, is, this, this, this verb here for grows exceedingly is very unusual. And, uh, and it's the only place you will see that in all of the scripture is that right there. It means very vigorous growth. Not just a little growth. But it's exploding, the church is exploding in growth in their faith and love for one another. But not only do we see exceeding growth in faith, abounding in this goppy love, this increasing patience and faith that, is, that you can see permeating from their life, even though they're going through these persecutions. Remember, persecutions means people from without coming against you. You're being persecuted by someone else. That's persecution. Tribulations are more within. You're dealing with situations, circumstances that are happening. It could be you are going through a sickness, and and there's 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 a tribulation, I should say, a tribulation going on, and you could have a sickness or cancer, or you're battling something that's within, not from someone from without. But there in verse 4, he says, we ourselves boast of you because he's this this very emphatic expression that he says, this is absolutely amazing of what God is doing. And he says to endure, continue the good fight. Don't give up. And as Christians, we're not. We, we, We live by faith as a daily walk. We walk because we have no guarantee for tomorrow. And you certainly cannot change the past. So you live your life today as God calls you to live his life and be obedient to what he's called you to do today. He may give you some insight of what you may possibly need to plan for and may give you some of that. But you live for today because you have no guarantee tomorrow. First of all, I hope he comes and takes us and raptures us out of here tomorrow by tomorrow. Right? He solves all of our problems for those who are are saved. But we don't fear tomorrow because God is going to give us the strength and the, the wisdom and the abilities to live that life that he has for us and do what he's called us to do if we're just obedient. So we don't have to worry about our provisions and other things tomorrow because he is faithful even when we're not faithful. He is faithful to help us. And we can, that's a promise as believers we can hold on to. We just have to be responsive and be obedient to what he's uh, called us to do. But by these words that Paul uses here of, we boast of you among the churches of God. He's spreading around all these other churches that he's been starting. He says, you need to know about the church back in Thessalonica. It, it's amazing what is going on tremendous testimony of what is going on in their lives even though they're being persecuted and have tribulations that are going on some people as christians when they come to christian become a a child of god and become a christians many times people uh mislead people and say your whole life will be so much better and it's going to be just perfect and it's going to be all just rosy and and everything's going to come together but that's not true the scripture doesn't say that. Matter of fact, I'll give it to you if you've been deceived by other teachings of other places that tell you that you're going to be wealthy and wise and perfect and, and, uh, you know, and that your little self-help books will tell you that you're going to just can talk your way through being better. Uh, just let me let you know, 2 Timothy 3.12 says, Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. God says in his word, well some people will say to me, well you know I'm a pastor, I'm a believer. I don't have much, I don't get persecuted for my faith. I don't there's no tribulation going in my life. I'm I, it's going just really really well. But let me read the verses again to you. Nice and slow like so you don't ca- so you catch every word. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus, will suffer persecution. There are some who call themselves Christians. They do not live a godly life after Jesus Christ. It's just in name only. I mean, I don't want to offend you, but I guess it would offend you if you've been coming on a Sunday or been listening, teaching, claimed to be a Christian your whole life, but you haven't lived a godly life. You haven't pursued after Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and really with all your heart and mind, soul, and strength. Yeah, I mean, you, you've just been passively kind of going by and once the, you know, we call them CEOs, right? Christmas, Easter, and other special occasions is the only time you go to church. We're talking those who are really pursuing God and you become such a bright light and you become so salty it's going to cause those who desire darkness, who love darkness, who want to live ungodly lives and things that go against the scripture, your life, just by standing next to them, is going to cause them very uncomfortableness. It will. And you're like, what do you mean I was really nice to them? I, I, I even got them a, a bottle of water. What are you talking? And they're just sitting there wanting to come against me. And, and I didn't say anything, didn't do anything. You don't have to. Why? Because they know that you represent as an ambassador of Jesus Christ. I mean, it's it's not difficult. Once you understand, as a Christian, you're mature, these things make sense to you. If you're not a mature Christian, you just keep showing up regardless of how you feel, and you'll mature and grow, and you'll understand the scriptures, and you'll understand why certain things happen to you. The second thing that we see in encouragement is the encouragement of promise, and we see this here in verses uh, five through ten but let's just take verse five here and it says which is manifest evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you also suffer so we see here God's righteous judgment was at work here with these believers in this town and beginning with the house of God we see in first Peter 4 17 persecution or things that will happen will come even to those who are righteous because it purifies the followers of Jesus Christ. The good result or the reward for following Jesus and the Lord allows and the God allows certain things to come in and touch your life called persecution or tribulation, it refines you and I in our walk with him. It causes us to deepen our faith, to trust him, to bring us through those dark valleys. And so when those things happen, you need to praise God and be encouraged of the promise that God has for you. Because he says that he allows this. Nothing will touch a a child of God's life unless it's been father filtered first. So if something happens and you say, what? How did this happen? God is allowing it to do what? To refine you. To purify you. Like gold, when you heat up the gold, it brings all the impurities, the dross, the dross to the top of the gold to skim off that off so that the gold becomes more pure and more refined to a point where it's so almost see-through in regards to fine gold. But he, he, we see that Paul is saying that they are worthy And it's evidence, it's manifest evidence that God is allowing the righteous judgment of God to happen within their life so that you may be counted, what? Worthy, the reward, the good result, the worthy of the kingdom of God. You're inherited the kingdom of God. And you're going to suffer. But again, it's a manifest evidence that God was good in allowing them to suffer to allow them to suffer this persecution and tribulation that's described here back in verse 4. Now usually the conversation kind of goes like this. Usually that God is, is, uh, is, someone is suffering for something. Many times if they don't understand the scripture they immediately say God is not with me. God is absent. Where is God in all of this? And you quickly jump to the conclusion as a believer that God somehow missed it. He, t- he must have gotten really busy with some other people because my other neighbor's really bad. He's really bad. He must be focused on him and he missed it. No, God is all present. He knows everything. So because there's a suffering that came, God is not absent from you through this suffering that God calls righteous judgment into, into your life. But people will question God why he allowed these things to happen. But Paul here took the exact opposite position and insisted to these believers who are suffering that this is evidence of righteous judgment of God. But where suffering is coupled with righteous endurance, enduring in your faith and walk, God's work is done. The fire of persecution and tribulation is going to purify your life and to refine your life. And that is going to bring about this reckoning as worthy or counted worthy of the kingdom of God. And that is a promise to you and I. An encouragement to you and I as the believers then. If you find yourself being persecuted in tribulation, God is allowed it and he's refining you and he's is evidence of the inheritance of the kingdom of God and you will be rewarded and I will be rewarded when we go to heaven you'll receive crowns of what glory be encouraged by that verse 6 says it is righteous it is a righteous thing with God to repay with tribulation those who trouble you and the second the part of the promise here, the encouragement promised to them is not only this tribulation and persecution going through, you're going to be rewarded. It just shows that you're a child of God and you're going to be very rewarded and encouraged and brought through all of this. Don't worry. But second thing, I give you another promise. Those who are doing and persecuting and bringing tribulation into your life, I'm going to repay them for what they did to you. They're going to reap what they sow in your life. They persecuted you. Watch the judgment, my judgment, that's going to come upon them in due time. So it was an encouragement to the believers that these people who are being persecuted against them is not going to get away with it. They're not just going to get away with it. I love a a story of two farmers. One farmer is a believer. The second second, uh, farmer is an atheist. And they're out there, and it's season, and they're planting, and they're putting the seeds in. They're going through, and it comes September time frame, and it's harvest time. And the atheist farmer comes to the believing farmer and says, and you said God was with you. Oh, you said God was going to provide for you. God is going to give you a fruitful life. Look at your fields. Look at mine. Mine is much more abundance than yours. I had less issues than yours. I had this and that. And he was comparing with the believer how his was much more fruitful and, bear, uh, and, and uh, abundant than the believing uh, farmer. And what do you think the believing farmer said to the atheist farmer? My abundancy, my reward, my crop, my, my reward and everything doesn't come in September. September. It comes in the future when I'm with my Lord. My reward's in the future. See, atheists don't understand that. They, they live for the now, the then and now. What can I get from the system today? We as believers know our work that we do will be well abundantly rewarded when we're in the presence of God. And that's a promise for you and I. It's a promise for you and I. And then we see that he says we're gonna, he's going to repay or retribution will happen to those who come against you as a believer. Verse 7, and to give you who are troubled rest with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. Here in verse 7, we see the second coming of the Lord here really clearly because he says the promise that you have, the encouragement of a promise, is not only... That you will be rewarded through the persecution and tribulations. That two, I'm going to take care of those who are persecuting. I'm going to bring judgment. I'm going to repay them for persecuting you. But thirdly, we see that you're going to receive rest for all the trouble you've been through. He's going to bring you rest from all of this trouble, all this persecution, all of this tribulation that's happening in life because God is going to come back with his mighty angels and we are going to be revealed or relieved from or released from. All of the pressures of life will be released from us. It's a promise. It's only a matter of time that it will happen. For every believer, a day of rest is coming. When? When the Lord Jesus Christ comes back. You and I. Now, verse 8, we see in flaming fire taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we see here in verse 8 that who will experience this flaming fire taking vengeance? Who will experience this judgment upon their lives? That is when the day of the judgment will be like those who persecuted the Thessalonians. The persecutors will receive uh, uh, vengeance or judgment upon their lives. And who are these people or not believers Those who do not know God and those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. The non-believers are the ones who are going to receive the vengeance upon their lives. Now there's a difference between vengeance... And uh, and um, and revenge, vengeance. At what God is talking about here is the purpose of vengeance is to satisfy God's holy law. He's going to fulfill His holy law of what He said: you must, you must not go against Him. You must not uh, be disobedient toward the Lord Jesus Christ. And there's going to be a consequence to that. But for those who um, Uh, what God doesn't do is is take um, revenge on. Because someone who revenges themselves is basically pacifying a personal grudge against someone. God doesn't have a a grudge against anybody. If you remember, God does not hold a grudge against any lost sinner. Quite the contrary, he sent his only son to come die for that sinner. So he doesn't hold grudges. But when you're sitting there and you're God and you're looking down and you're saying, I've sent my son to die for you so that you have a way to have life and be, have eternal life and to be saved from all the sin that you have. And then you turn around and you reject me. You don't want to even, even open the, your life and the door of your life up to, in, for me to come into your life. You don't want anything. Well, then that's going to be, I have to fulfill the holy law. I'm going to have to fulfill the promise because no sin can go to heaven. It has to be taken care of in your life. And Jesus is the only way to be able to take care of that sin. So because you've rejected me, then you've chosen the result of judgment from God. God doesn't send anyone to hell. You made that choice by rejecting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. People don't understand because they don't want to take responsibility. Hello? That's exactly what's happening. People don't take responsibility for their decisions. They'll quickly blame everybody else or compare themselves as I'm not as bad as someone else. That doesn't save you. And that's why the scripture and that's why our passion is sharing the good news. That there is a way to not to receive The vengeance or the judgment or the wrath of God upon your life for rejecting Him. You don't have to reject Him anymore. You can receive Him as your Lord and Savior and be set free. Why? Because we see in verse 9 that. These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the, the glory of his power. Some people sit there and say, you know, when you die, you just die. It's over with. Some say, well, if it is, it's no big deal. It's going to be one big party down there in hell with all the rest of my friends. But that's just a deceit from Satan because no one, they don't know the scriptures. They just kind of helps them pacify them to make them feel better. But no, God's word is very clear that if you reject God, you're going to have everlasting. and It's never going to end. You know, there's a story about a moral woman. A good a woman who's been, lived her life. She's old and she's, she's a good person. I've lived my life pretty good compared to other people. I'm a pretty good person. A moral woman, right? She finds herself in the doctor's office and getting bad news that she's got cancer and she she happened god guides her to a christian surgeon to take a look at what they're going to do to get that cancer out of her and she's sitting there and 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 he's sharing the gospel and saying you know this is a difficult situation but you have cancer and 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 she said well i'm a good person I, i I don't think gods going to punish people to hell if you're good. If you're, I do good things. I give, I give money to people. And I help people. And I do, I'm, I'm a good person. And so the surgeon took an opportunity and says, "Well, if if that was true, let, let me give you an example. You have cancer right now. Let's let's just not cut it out. Let's just leave it the way it is. Just let it go because it's." It's not that big of a deal. It's it's not as bad as someone else's cancer in their life. And and of course, the lady looked at him and said, wait a minute, I want you to take it out. Well, that's not very loving, is it? I'm going to inflict pain on you to get that out of you. Why would I do that? Why? Because the cancer is so bad, I need to get it out. I'm willing to go through the pain and the persecutions and the tribulations, whatever it is. For me to get that cancer out. I'll take I'll do whatever it takes. And the Christian surgeon says, that's exactly what God's saying. He says, He'll take the sin out of your life. You just have to be willing to open up your life to allow him to come in. And you will experience, yes, pain and persecution and tribulations in your life. But the reward is so great. Why? Because what will be revealed, what will be removed? Cancer is like sin. It will permeate in your life and completely destroy you. So, like the great physician, he says, Open up your life. I will reach in and I will know exactly where the cancer of sin is in your life, every little bit of it, and I will remove it. Just allow me to do it. Are you tracking with me? Because he is the great physician. That's why we come here on Sundays, because we come to the hospital to get fixed. (laughs) You get some boo-boos during the week. You get stitched up, cleaned up, and reminded you've been forgiven. Reminded that he loves you. We continue. We see the fact that in verse 10, that when he comes in that day... To be glorified in a sense to be admired among all those who believe because of your testimony among you was what? Believed. Because of the fact that this shows us such a difference between one destined for judgment and one destined for glory, is it not? Because the difference is belief in the message that Paul preached to them at that time. It's our testimony, that simple gospel of Jesus Christ. I was once blind, I gave my life to Jesus Christ, and now I'm found. I used to be a drug addict, an alcoholic, a pornography, and you go all down the list of a liar and cheater and stealer and whatever it may be that it was your sin or sins. And then all of a sudden you accept Jesus Christ, he comes in, he forgives you, he removes it, and then all of a sudden he does this work in your life, and you no longer do those things because of a relationship you have with Jesus, and you keep following him every day, every day, you just keep following him, and he does a work in you that no one else can do. No one. And it brings about a testimony, because those who know your life, they'll look in, at you and go, you used to be what? You were, used to be where? You used to do that? Are, they can't believe it. Why? Because they're looking at your transformed life, and there's such a Peace and joy and such change. They're like, there's no way you used to be like that. Are, are you tracking with me? Now, if you're not there yet as a believer, just keep showing up regardless of how you feel and watch God. Keep in the word of God and watch him transform your life. And it's only a matter of time people look and go, wow, what a transformed life. It is absolutely amazing. And then we see... In the last two verses, 11 and 12, "'Therefore we also pray always for you.'" So now it brings the third encouragement, encouragement of prayer. He says, "I "'Therefore we also pray always for you, for our God would count you worthy of this calling and fulfill the good all the good pleasure of his goodness and the work of faith with power, that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ might be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and our Lord Jesus Christ.'" Always praying. He's, Paul is, I love this. Paul is absolutely demonstrating what he taught in the first letter of uh, 1 Thessalonians about what? Pray always. He's demonstrating that we are praying always for you. For you as believers over there in Thessalonica and the fact that he's sitting there, we're praying for you because we know that we need power and prayer and encouraging you to continue to to be enduring of this through the persecution and tribulation of people coming against you. But me and my associates here, Timothy and, and Silvanus, we're going to continue to pray for you and encourage you. Why? Because you can intercede for other people. You can sit there in the quietness of your home and talk to God and say, God, I have, and fill in the blank, this person is suffering. I ask you, Lord, to comfort that person today through that, that, that situation. I, my, my kids are wandering. They're, they're focused on the world. They're pulling them away. Lord, bring them back. Encourage them to continue to walk. You can intercede for other people in prayer and not have to be there. But you wouldn't understand that if you don't have your own prayer life. If you're not a prayer warrior in regards to an understanding, that's how you communicate and talk with God. And if you don't have a regular prayer life throughout the day, like it's breathing and about everything, that's who's going to encourage you in this walk. I want to encourage you to do that because that's what Paul says. I'm going to pray for you and obviously encourage because the fact that our, that our God would count you worthy of this calling because it's a calling of God that has you right where you're at, what you're doing, how you're doing it, the things that are going on, He's, you're, you call, you're counted worthy of this calling. And I'll give you those about five things of this calling. We will live worthy of this calling when we fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness and living lives touched by his goodness and displaying His goodness, that that's worthiness, that God, His, their worthiness of the what God is doing in and through their lives is is incredible. We live worthy of his calling when we fulfill the work of faith with power. We live by faith, not by sight, and it's by his power that allows us to walk this Christian walk. 2 Peter 1.3 says, His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who calls us by glory and virtue. Is there a stronghold in your life? Then you need to turn your life over to Christ and allow him to empower you to overcome that stronghold that tries to bring you down. There is no other way. You may try it and you'll suffer and you'll struggle. But no, God says his divine power that lives, can live within you as a believer is, can lead you and pertain and give you everything that you need for this life. Second, 1 Corinthians 4.20 for the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. 2 Corinthians 3, t- 13, 4. Though Jesus through crucified in weakness, yet he lives by the power of God. For we also are weak in him, but we li- shall live with him by the power of God. We are to walk in the spirit and in truth. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit, is what gives us power, that God Himself gives us power to live a godly life. You must. You could be like a toaster. You don't plug the toaster in. You have no power. You must turn the power on for the toaster to work. You're a Christian, but you must walk in the Spirit and in truth to receive the power to live and pour through your life to overcome this world. Next one, we live worthy of this call of this, of His call when the name of the Lord Jesus Christ is glorified in us. We understand that this means more than just saying the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. As a word, we must be a representative of that character of Him. And lastly, we see, We live worthy of his call when we glorify, are glorified in him when he alone is our source of glory and exaltation. And who we are in Jesus is more than who we are in anything else. It's who we are. It's our witness to everyone who watches our life. When someone looks at your life, you should be a witness of Jesus Christ. And they say, you have been spending time with Jesus you have the character of jesus you talk and speak like jesus why because you've been spending so much time with him how do you do that in prayer and reading the word of god and lastly we see that closure in verse 12 according to the grace of our god and our lord jesus christ the great work of living worthy of this calling that god has called us as a christian is according to what to the grace of god to the grace of God there is no rest let me reassure you of something there is no rest for the wicked no rest for the wicked but there is rest for you and I as believers for those who trust Christ and seek to live in his glory we will have tremendous rest now and into eternity for the Christian the best is yet to come is it not? it is Why? Because Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming, and you and I must hold on.